Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Josh Dawes is the host of the Great Awakening podcast, where he engages in cultural apologetics by explaining wokeness one concept at a time to a general Christian audience. You can find his work wherever you listen to podcasts or on Twitter at Josh Dawes, where he's known for his thoughtful threads on cultural issues. Uh, Josh resides in Georgia with his wife and their four kids. Josh, thanks, thanks so much for coming and being with me in person. Yeah, thanks for having me. So, Josh, I, I love the name of your podcast, first of all, The Great Awakening. Uh, we need a great awakening like nobody's business in America right now. We've had a couple of them, and I'm praying hard for oh, the third one. We need to be awakened to the principles of God. Uh, the mandates that come from heaven are, are great because they liberate us. They produce blessing and protection. But there seems to be a cultural awakening of wokeness. And for some, it's sort of a mystery. It's all uh, an enigma. We're trying to figure out what it means. What are we supposed to wake up to? Uh, what have others woken to? And you're helping us to understand all of that. And you were involved in this, uh, this, this mega thread that went viral on Twitter and it hit my radar screen when a friend sent it to me. I read through it and I sent it to all of my friends because I was like, wow, this is connecting some dots that are really, really important. But um, for, first tell us, how did you get involved in all of these Twitter conversations? I mean, they're, they're pretty intense. Why, why would you choose to spend so much time in the land of trolls? <laughs> um, possibly I'm a glutton for punishment, I'm not sure. But um, no, I got involved in um, Twitter. I was an early adopter in 2007. I've been on it uh, for a long time. But about four or five years ago, I started to see several friends that we had gone to church with begin to walk down this social justice path to progressive Christianity and then eventual um, apostasy in some cases through this process of deconstruction. And I, I heard all these terms that they were using, just mm. white privilege, white fragility, intersectionality. And I just became really curious and burdened, like, what is happening? What, what is going on to these otherwise solid Christians that are, is taking them down this path? And so as I began um, just researching and learning about this, I started to see some of these ideas show up in otherwise conservative evangelical churches and conferences and in different books, and just started to use my Twitter platform to kind of wave the red flag and say, hey, hold up, this, there's some problems here that it's eroding people's faith. Wow, so you noticed people's faith being eroded and all these crazy new terms flying around. Um, and then what I read from you was this mega thread. So explain, explain to people, what is a mega thread? And uh, what was the thread that you were posting that got so much traction? Sure. So uh, on Twitter, uh, a single tweet is 280 characters. So I find it it's really helpful for writing concise, pithy you know, ideas, getting them out there. But if you have an idea that needs more space, you can string a series of tweets together in, in what's called a thread. So the thread in question was um, 23 uh, tweets long, pretty long, uh, for a, 
a normal thread. And it was really answering a question that a lot of people are asking right now. And that's, why is the left so insistent on talking to our kids about sexuality? Yeah, that's a great question. Why, why, why would other people be so insistent on talking to our kids about sexuality? I mean, that's a, that's a parent's job. Yeah, the church can help us with that because we look to God's word uh, on a subject that's so sacred. But, but why, why would others be so intent on talking to our children about sex? Not just healthy set, uh, sex ed that you and I think of from school, but this is like a full indoctrination through social media. Mm -hmm. And it even appears to be creating a wedge between parents and children. What, what, do you, what do you think about that? It's really something we're seeing in our classrooms. This really whole, uh, all erupted with some legislation in Florida that um, some people on the left were just livid about, that all it did was ban uh, instruction uh, on sexuality and gender identity in K through third grade classrooms, which later polls showed that even 60% of Democrats supported in Florida. But the, the left's reaction to this really um, just left a lot of people like, what is going on? Why is this, is this happening? And my thread tried to uh, answer that question, and it really all goes back to a guy by the name of Paolo Freire, who, was, who in the 1960s wrote a book called The Pedagogy of the Oppressed. And pedagogy is just a fancy name for education. And in that, he taught that uh, education was an inherently political act. He said that teachers are either um, promoting the oppression or they're perpetuating the oppression of society by teaching the received knowledge from previous generations, or they're teaching to awaken a critical consciousness in students. And that's, that he said that that was the purpose of education, to awaken a critical consciousness. We might call that being woke. And so in the 80s and the 90s, his educational philosophy became the predominant, uh, most influential uh, philosophy of education in American schools of education. And so we've had uh, several generations now, or several decades, of teachers that were taught and, and administrators that were taught this philosophy have been seeded into our schools. And so they believe that teaching is all about creating little social justice activists. And certainly education is critically important. We, we understand from the Bible that we're to train up our children in the way that they should go. And so we, we, we understand that their hearts and their minds are shaped and formed by education. That's why our text ne books need to be the right textbooks. Mm -hmm. um, but you say that this new group of educators is actually not looking to teach our kids about reality and the way that God made the world, but to turn them into little revolutionaries. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? You're not talking about revolutionary war characters like uh, George Washington, Yankee Doodle Dandy. You, you mean something entirely different. Yeah, and, and unfortunately, it's, uh, it would be great if, if there was a resurgence of learning about the founders and teaching the principles of liberty and, and freedom, but this is, this is more along the lines of a Marxist revolution. Uh, this is, this is, uh, has roots in Marxist philosophy, so it's very much about tearing down what exists, the, the systems in place that, that they believe are oppressive. It might seem really far-fetched for some people to think that there is an active agenda that is seeking to overthrow 
the ideas of this country and that one of the ways that that's going to be accomplished is by separating children from their parents and separating children's values from the church and, and the Bible. I mean, is, is, is that overthinking it, Josh? Or do you think that, that, that that's really what's going on? Yeah, it, I think that is what's going on, on on some level. I think there are there are good teachers that are just trying to, you know, teach our kids. They they love the the students, but a, a lot of them are having their their empathy kind of weaponized against um, these kids that, with these programs that sound nice. But the the overall agenda um, is is very much uh, happening. They they want to take the kids and they see anything that is reinforcing the, the society, the, the norms of society, the, the cultural heritage we have from the past. They see that anything that's reinforcing that is um, a threat to, to the agenda, the, the little activists they want to create. And now the, the, the two issues that you've brought up in your thread and, and that you're saying are the real threat going on within our schools are uh, critical race theory, also known as CRT, mm-hmm. and also gender theory. And um, I think a lot of us don't see the connection there. Uh, maybe not familiar that much with what either one are, but have sort of general bad vibes about them. Mm-hmm. But you say that, that they're actually two sides of the same coin. How did you draw that conclusion? Yeah, so both uh, critical race theory and uh, gender theory or queer theory, it could also be called, are part of, are sub-disciplines of a larger academic discipline called critical theory. And so critical theory uh, believes that every uh, society can be divided up into groups um, of oppressors and oppressed that are divided uh, along lines of race, sex, um, or gender, sexuality, religion, wealth, uh, even physical ability. So any number of things. And there's academic disciplines studying each one of those. That's all under the umbrella of critical theory. Yes. Okay. And uh, what would be the purpose of trying to divide society up into these groups of you're the victim and you're the, you're the oppressor? Why, why would anybody try to do that? It's really about um, societal transformation. They believe that our society is inherently... Uh, oppressive, and going back all the way back to Marx, his his solution was that we needed a workers' revolt. We needed people to recognize how oppressed they are, so that they would rise up and overthrow the systems that are oppressing everyone. And these um, these ideologies now are, are doing the same thing. They're trying to help um, the oppressed class recognize how oppressed they are, and the oppressors to recognize their oppression, their complicity with that. Oppression. Some people might say that, Josh, when, when you talk about uh, critical race theory or gender theory uh, in, in these kinds of terms, like this is a, a, a negative transformation of, of society, some people might say, well, you're really getting lost on sideline issues. This isn't really about the gospel and you're coming across as unloving. How would you respond to them? Yeah, I, I think we need to recognize, and Paul tells us in Romans that we are to, uh, not to be conformed to the world, but to be transformed by the renewing of our mind. So we need to recognize the dominant ideologies that are influencing our thinking, oftentimes without us even being aware of it. And these ideologies are rampant throughout society right now. And so as, um, as we 
attempt to share the gospel with mm -hmm. people, we're going to be running into these. And I think it, it would be very helpful to recognize it, know how to, to counter it, and to you know, explain the gospel in light of what you know, people are thinking. That's right. These are ideas that we have to deal with because they're here. We can't wish that they weren't here. Uh, it, it is reality. And so we want to be able to look at all of these things through a biblical lens so that we can interact with people with these ideas and use them as an opportunity to pe point people toward the truth and the one that can bring, bring hope and restoration, uh, healing and, and health. Listen, after the break, we're going to go and dive into both of these concepts, critical race theory and gender theory. We're going to talk about what they mean and how they're being weaponized in today's world, impacting all of us. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. We're back with Josh Dawes to have a critical discussion on critical race theory, what it is and how it's influencing our culture. Um, Josh, I, I find this just absolutely fascinating and I'm so thankful you're here to, to fill in the gaps and connect the dots for us. Let's go back and talk about how critical race theory, which we've heard quite a bit about in the media, is really stemming from something called critical theory. Can you, can you give us an overview of what critical theory is? Sure. So critical theory was formed by a group of men in the 1930s who were Marxist thinkers that were frustrated that the promised workers' revolution had not come to fruition in the West. So Marx had predicted that once workers recognized that they were oppressed, they would rise up, overthrow the dominant systems, and usher in a communist utopia. A guy by the name of Max Horkheimer, who's one of these original critical theorists, he introduced the term critical theory with, um, by comparing it to what he called traditional theory. And traditional theory was just trying to understand the world as it is. So it was just normal scientific method, mm. let's understand the world. Critical theory, on the other hand, was trying to understand why the world is not as it should be. So right from its very inception, it had a Marxist vision for what the world should be like and was trying to understand why, that had, why we're not there already. Okay, and the critical theory, it was, was what? It's just this idea of, of, being, of critically analyzing the entire world around us to understand the forces that are at work to keep us oppressed, to prevent this Marxist um, utopia from developing, emerging. And so over the years, this, this uh, project that they had has, has grown, grown into like a broad academic discipline with all these various sub-disciplines that examine different areas. Foundational to them is the idea that any society can be divided into groups of oppressors and oppressed, and that those, those groups are determined based on along lines of like race, sexuality, gender, uh, religion, wealth, um, 
you know, even things like physical ability. There, there's even a, a critical theory called fat studies that, you know, critically analyzes the way that fat people are oppressed by thin people. So it, any, any, you know, binary you can imagine in society, critical theory has a, a study to examine it. And another foundational idea or core tenet of critical theory is that these oppressor groups always oppress the oppressed. There is no such thing as using power on behalf of others. It's, if you are in power, you are oppressing the oppressed groups. And um, they, they believe that a society's norms, values, uh, ideas are inherently oppressive. Except their own ideas. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> and once an oppressor, always an oppressor. You can't get away from it. You just need to get rid of the oppressors. Yep. Or, or change them to, to, to agree with, with, with you. Yeah. And so critical theory is, is all about tearing down these systems that they believe are oppressive. So that's, that's what their version of social justice really is. That, that's interesting. So is there a connection between critical theory and social justice? There is. That's, that's the ultimate goal of critical theory, is to bring about a just society through uh, social justice activism that would tear down these systems, replace them with an equitable distribution of power, which, as we all know, you know, seeing throughout history, any time the Marxist project has been tried, it's just not tenable. You cannot have an a, you know, inherently equal society. Tearing down a society in order to build up a, a new society. Um, that, that's such an interesting concept. I, I mean, we would love to see heaven here on earth as well. We'd love to see God's principles put into action and, and see bad ideas put down. So I guess it really comes down to what are the good ideas and what are, are the bad ideas and what's the right way to bring about transformation of a culture. And critical theory, you're saying, is ultimately about dividing people. It's splitting everybody up and getting everybody fighting against one another. And then ultimately, how do you fix the chaos according to critical theory? What do you what do? You do? Yeah, that's, that's where the, the revolution is the, is the goal. It's if you can get people upset enough, they will rise up and overthrow the power that is, is controlling everything. But then some power has to control everything all over again, yep, or you'd have nothing but chaos. So don't you just wind up right where you started? We do, yep. Critical theory would then say that now this group is in, in power and using their hegemonic power to keep uh, everyone else oppressed. And so then the process starts again. So it's this really perpetual state of revolution that they're after. So we talked about social justice. Isn't that a biblical concept, though? The idea of having justice in our society? Don't we want to help the poor? Isn't that part of our job, is to reach out to those who are in need and, and have a, uh, speak up for those who don't have a voice? Absolutely, yeah. Throughout Scripture, we see that the, the Lord's heart for the oppressed, for, for those, the, the poor, the widows, the orphans, and we're commanded to, to do our part uh, to... to you know, love those, those in those situations and to use our power on behalf of the less fortunate. The problem with critical theory is in how it understands injustice and how it understands oppression. Okay, talk about those things. How does critical race theory understand injustice? So critical theory's understanding of oppression 
is that the ideas, the norms, the the um, values that a society has are oppression. So we're not talking about, the, the biblical understanding of oppression would be using your power in a cruel or unjust manner. So right. you think of you know, American slavery, Egyptian slavery. Right, you know. pharaohs enslaving the Jews and, right. Exactly, so that's what most Christians would think of when you were talking about injustice or oppression. And so when critical theory uh, or critical race theory talks about ending oppression, it sounds really good to Christian ears. It does. Like, we should end oppression. Exactly. Um, but we need to understand what they're actually talking about. So in the summer of 2020, after the death of George Floyd, the Smithsonian um, Institute uh, published a website to help Americans talk about race, since we were having this national conversation about racism and, and racial injustice. And they published... Uh, as part of that, an infographic called the, uh, I think it was the Aspects and Something of Whiteness. And it, it's explaining this whole concept of whiteness and what whiteness is, this, this oppressive force that um, white culture has imposed upon and was keeping people of color oppressed. And in that, they listed out several things that made up whiteness. Among that, it was things like a, the Protestant work ethic or delayed gratification, um, politeness, um, punctuality, being places on time, um, even the idea that Christianity was the norm, or uh, monotheism. Like monotheism, they identified as an aspect of whiteness and white culture, which I'm sure the, the ancient <laughs> Israelites would like a word about that. But um, so you have to understand that as we uh, hear a, you know, the critical race theory call to be about uh, fighting oppression and, and tearing down uh, systemic injustice, we have to be, ask really good questions about what is it you mean by that? Because anything on that Smithsonian list is, you know, you find that in scripture is it, praised as a good thing, you know? And so critical theory uh, right, you know, would see things that the Bible admonishes us to do such as discipline and you know, responsibility as tools of oppression. We also hear the words uh, uh, lived experience and empathy being the most important things mm -hmm. that we can feel today in regard to these issues. But you say that, that those emotions of empathy, compassion, understanding are being weaponized mm -hmm. and used by critical theory to destroy our culture. Mm -hmm. What do you mean by that? So lived experience is the idea that an oppressed person has a, uh, because of their social location as an oppressed person, they have unquestionable access to knowledge, um, understanding of oppression. So they, it's, uh, they have a, a moral authority that their oppression confers to them. And so this is like the, I think the primary Trojan horse that brings these ideas into the church mm. is when, uh, when these, these topics come up, you, know, you and I would be having this conversation and, and people would say, well, you guys are two white guys. You, you really can't be talking about this. You don't have any insight into this. Yeah, you've never walked a, a mile in someone else's right. shoes. Right, and so as Christians, we know that we are supposed to listen to others. We're, we're, we're to learn from others. We're to hear other perspectives. But critical theory takes that a step further and says that it is an unquestionable source of truth. 
that the truth um, is, is located in the lived experience of the oppressed. And so, it's, and, and beyond that, it's not just that you have to accept their understanding of the truth, you have to accept the conclusions mm. drawn from their understanding. That's interesting. It, it feels to me like uh, you, you've got two different teams uh, playing a game of basketball, but really only one of them gets to actually go out on the field and play, and they control the referees as well. So it seems like uh, some parts of society don't get to become, don't get to be part of the conversation. D does critical race theory conflict with the gospel? If so, how does it? Yeah, I believe it does. And that's due to one uh, particular um, concept that, that critical race theory introduced, and that's the concept of intersectionality. So intersectionality would say that your level of oppression is based on um, how many different oppressed groups you can identify with. So a black man would be less oppressed than a black woman, because the black man is only oppressed on the one category of, of being black. But a black woman would be oppressed because she's black and a woman. And so they, they believe that there's these interlocking, interlocking systems of oppression that need to be examined. And that includes uh, sexuality. And so to fully embrace critical race theory, you, it, you have to start chipping away at your biblical sexual ethic. And so it, it, it immediately gets you into some dicey territory where you have to start tossing out parts of the Bible that don't align with critical theory. That's fascinating. And so you're suggesting that critical race theory is actually teeing up uh, something else, which is gender theory, and that the two actually are two sides of the same coin. Why, how, how is that? How does critical race theory pave the way for gender theory? Sure. So when someone embraces these ideas from critical race theory, through intersectionality and, and seeing how all the different um, oppressed groups are oppressed differently, you have to begin asking questions of like, okay, if I can't speak into this, if I can't talk about these issues as a white man, um, because I don't understand the social location the of the oppressed, the lived of experience the of the... Who are oppressed. Right. As a Christian, it, it, that sounds good uh, when we're talking about race. But then once we bring up the subject of sexuality, well, if I'm going to be consistent, I can't speak into the life of you know, a gay friend because I don't know his experience. I can't deliver biblical truth in those relationships because my perspective is that of a straight man. And I, I, I don't know, so I just need to listen and learn, and I probably need to interact with some liberal theologians that have a different affirming view of homosexuality. And so this is how it begins to erode your faith because we're, we're bringing in this paradigm that just shifts the way we interact with the truth. And, and the theory of, of, of critical theory is that somehow all of this, this turmoil and this separating into groups and the, and the fighting is somehow going to produce a utopia in society? <laughs> That's the plan. I think they, they um, sometimes I think that the, the whole goal is perpetual revolution because angry, divided populace is very easy to exploit. Wow, cr cr crazy things. Upending the, the, the family, looking to divide people and get people to fight, and out of that comes a utopia. Crazy ideas. When we come back, we're going to talk more 
about gender theory and the role that Josh believes that it plays in a cultural agenda today, right after this. Welcome back, everyone. So, Josh, we first talked about how you believe that gender theory and critical race theory are two sides of the same coin. They're both pointed at the same goal. And uh, in our next segment, we kind of broke down critical race theory and critical theory. Now let's talk about gender theory. What, what is that? So gender theory uh, can also be known as queer theory. It's, uh, it's really an attack on the normal. It's this idea that the gender binary of a male and a female is somehow oppressive. It's and, and, and just, just real quick, binary meaning two. Two, right? bi yes. Bi binary, two different genders. Two different genders. Okay. As God made them male and female. So what we receive from scripture, they would say that's a, an oppressive idea that we are, um, and gender theory and queer theory is, is really um, addressing children because that's where we, we develop our identity. We, we, we feel you know, comfortable in our body. We learn what it means to be a boy and what it means to be a girl. Mm, right. And so gender theory is very focused on uh, teaching kids to reject that binary. Which, which just sounds so, so outrageous to, to those of us who understand scripture, who understand uh, the reality of the way that, that God made us. We talked about the identity issues with critical race theory being broken into these categories of the oppressed and the oppressor, the victims and the perpetrators of, of the, the, the cruelty. Uh, what about gender theory? W what are the identity categories there? That's the thing. Because it's, it's against um, the, the norm of a man and woman, of male and female, they're, they're essentially creating out of whole cloth a wide variety. I think Facebook has like 47 different gender options that you can identify as. So, you know, you could be an asexual, you could be a gender fluid, um, all of these different identities that you can, um, they call it performative gender. So you can put on these identities as a way of kind of um, thumbing your nose at traditional oppressive categories of male and female. On a practical level, what are some of the effects that gender theory is having on children in the classroom? Yeah, and this is where it's, it's, it's really heartbreaking. Um, this is becoming an epidemic um, in America, and I think people are starting to wake up to that, of kids that are being encouraged to uh, identify and to step into these, these gender identities. We have adults that are, are trying to lead them down this path that is leading a lot of kids to transgender um, identity. And that comes with a whole variety of different uh, procedures that are done to drastically change the body. It's irreversible many times. So they'll put them on puberty blockers if they haven't gone through puberty yet that just keeps them in an extended, um, you know, extended childhood until they can determine, you know, which gender do I want to be. We're seeing um, kids, you know, as young as 13, 14, getting top surgeries where their breasts are removed. It's very horrific stuff. And so it's, there's a very real cost to this ideology being promoted in schools. And, and why do you think 
parents are allowing this to happen? I think that we've, for too long, we've bought this, um, the idea that the, the, the teachers are the experts, that the, the school administrators, they're the experts. I'm just the parent. I can't, you know, I don't need, you know, I, I can't really speak into this because I don't have a degree in gender studies or, or whatever. And so we end up um, kind of delegating that responsibility to uh, the experts in the classroom, and we believe that, that what they're telling us, like many parents will be told, like, if you don't affirm, you know, your daughter's new identity, then uh, your daughter's going to commit suicide. Like, that's just flat out, you know, what's going to happen. And so these parents, you know, are horrified by this, obviously, and so many of them will, you know, come alongside and affirm this out of this fear that if, if I don't you know, embrace this new identity that there's going to be great harm to their child. It sounds to me like we as parents need to get our identity back. And we need to understand who we are in the lives of our children. Yeah. That God has placed us as parents in positions of uh, benevolent authority to guide our children toward wisdom so that they can, they can know God, they can see God, they can understand who they are, so that they don't get duped by these wolves in sheep's clothing who want to eat them for lunch. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, for too long, we've, we've kind of bought into this illusion that we're in a neutral world, that the world is, okay, you, you Christians do your thing over yeah. there, we'll do our thing here, but like the education systems is this neutral place that we send our kids to that doesn't have any sort of agenda. And I think we're starting to see that that's not the case, that there very much is an agenda, and it's, it's oftentimes directly opposed to what we're trying to teach at home as Christian parents. And what I, what I know is freaking a lot of parents out, and we're seeing parents rise up about this and saying, hey, these are my children. I, I'm going to decide what my kids are going to learn in this school. Uh, and we're seeing politicians say more and more like, no, you're not the experts. Uh, you're not going to decide what kids are going to learn. And so it really comes down to this battle of worldviews. Who is in charge of our children? And when schools try to keep things secret or separate from parents and encourage children to do things and they don't let the parents have any say in the matter, that is just outrageous to me. How did the schools ever get this idea that they had such authority to marginalize parents? Yeah, I think it gets back to what I talk about in the thread, just this idea of needing to sever that bond between parents and children because... They believe that the parents at home are an obstacle to what they're trying to teach at school. And so if they can get these kids to step into a new identity and then we hide that from the parents. Like I, I saw one, uh, one school, or uh, I think it's a trend in, in multiple schools, are establishing uh, transition closets so that you can leave home as a little boy, show up at school, change clothes into a little girl's clothes. And so while you're at school, you're a girl. And then before you go home, they change you back so that your parents never know the identity that you have at school. To protect you mm -hmm. and your true I identity. I mean, Clark Kent went into the phone booth and he came out <laughs> as Superman, but uh, this is taking it to a whole nother level. What this does to kids is it teaches them to keep secrets from your your parents. It teaches them to that the trusted adults in your life are at school and that at home 
they are trying to oppress you, they're, they're not loving, they're not, you know, they don't accept you as you are like we do here at school. And so what this does is it really kind of creates a, a rift between the parents and the, the children that takes those kids and, and you know, kind of brings them over to the side of the social justice activists, which is what the end goal is. And so effect, effectively, we as parents, if we're dropping our kids off at a public school that's teaching critical theory, gender theory, essentially we are handing the parenting over to the government to train up our children in the way they say they should go. Mm -hmm. And ultimately, that responsibility falls with us when we stand before God. Yeah. You also say that some educators, teachers, are actually being weaponized in the scenario and, and maybe unknowingly being part of the problem when they think they're just trying to be understanding. Yeah. How, how, is, how is that the case? So I, I, I want to make this clear. I think most people, when they hear this, they think, not my teachers, my, not my school. We've got Christian teachers, like principals of Christian. Yeah, we've got, some, we've got good teachers. We've got great teachers that, that love the students. What is happening is that that love for the students is being manipulated by people who have this agenda to promote this, this ideology in schools. And they're, they're, they're sold uh, these, this, uh, this caring program of like, we need to care for these kids. They, you know, it has nice sounding names like social emotional learning. So that would you know, be used to teach kids about you know, other kids who come from different lifestyles that you know, feel different about their gender and sexuality. And so these ideas um, are kind of, the, these teachers are, are feeling like they need to do this, especially once you know, a, a kid shows up in their classroom that identifies differently. Um, they feel this need, this urge to kind of protect them, make sure they don't feel awkward or don't feel like they're not normal. And that, that, um, through this process, they begin, begin to teach the other kids and then it becomes kind of a flywheel that, that builds on um, this, their empathy. Wow. After the break, uh, let's spend some time talking about how we're seeing CRT and gender theory being used in tandem and what we as the family of faith can do about it. This has really been an intriguing conversation. Uh, now let's put all the pieces together and showcase what's really going on with these theories and what we can do about it. Uh, Josh, <clears throat> we've talked about critical race theory, we've talked about gender theory. Um, can you give us some more, um, paint some more pictures of, of what's actually going on in the classrooms and, and how these theories are affecting kids, critical race theory and gender theory? What, what are these kids feeling uh, about themselves, about their classmates, about uh, their family? about God and the world around them. Yeah, I think these, these um, ideas are really having a, a terrible effect on our kids. Mm -hmm. Like they're, um, I talk about in the original thread how it's um, critical race theory is being introduced into these classrooms and it kind of tears kids down. It says you're the, you inherit a um, legacy of 
of oppression, that you know you are the recipients of this privilege that has been stolen from people of color, that is not, um, you know, that you are somehow complicit in. So in child terms, you're bad. There's a problem. And then gender theory comes in and really uh, offers them these identities to step into and be celebrated. Like, oh, you're, no, you're not one of the bad people anymore. You're one of the good people. And it, it's really, um, it all clicked for me when I was studying the, the Chinese revolution, uh, the, the Chinese cultural revolution. It took place in the 60s and 70s for about 10 years. And so what happened in that is Chairman Mao took over control of the schools and he divided everybody up into 10 classes. You had five black classes and five red classes. So the black classes were bad classes. You were either a landlord, you were a capitalist, or you were a counter-revolutionary, this broad term that most people got thrown into. And the, uh, the red classes were good classes. So this was uh, revolutionaries, uh, workers, things like that. And so what they would do is they'd have these struggle sessions with the, the students, and they would be uh, forced to denounce themselves, denounce their family, to turn in their family for revolutionary behavior. And through that, they were given opportunities. So once the, the child is torn down and believed they're bad, part of this, this bad class, they were given the opportunity to perform acts for the state that would move them into the red classes. And so Mao used this to create what, he, what was called the Red Guard that went on to carry out horrible atrocities in the name of this you know, vision of communist utopia they were trying to create. Wow. So that sounds a lot like what's going on today. Divide people up into the bad group and the good groups, and if you denounce yourself in the bad group, you'll have a chance by virtue signaling in some kind of way to join one of the good groups. Mm -hmm. And now you get to be celebrated, and now you're, you're okay. You know what this sounds like to me is a counterfeit law and gospel. So as believers, we come to God, we recognize our sin, our conscience lets us know that, that we need God's forgiveness and we loathe our own selfishness and we repent of that sin. We go to God in faith and he gives us a new identity in Christ. Mm -hmm. This is the new birth. This is being born again. And what you're saying is that politically, culturally, dictators will do a similar thing. Essentially, they set themselves up as God and they say, you're over here in the black classes uh, and therefore you're bad. You need to loathe yourself, repent of all of your, your cultural or your inherited sins or your financial sins, and then through your repentance and faith in me and in my system, you can now join the good groups and have a whole new identity given to you. Yep, that's exactly what we're seeing. And that's why I named my podcast The Great Awakening because it really describes this whole um, thing that we're seeing with, with wokeness. It's this this, um, it's taking the replace of religion. As America becomes uh, less and less tethered from our Christian heritage, we're, we're finding ourselves empty and we're, we're recognizing a problem in us, that there is something bad, that there is something about us that needs a form of redemption. And this, this woke ideology of critical theory is stepping in and, and operating as, as a false religion and in Satan, often operates that way, where he provides a counterfeit gospel that you know, too many people are falling into right now. Yeah. I, I, I'm really praying for this great awakening, because if we don't have a great awakening, uh, 
we're going to wake up one day and understand that the great awakening has taken its place. And I believe that we're right in the middle of that right now. I remember hearing a story about uh, a young lady who came out of a communist dict dictatorship, an authoritarian government, and she said, when I first heard the gospel, it wasn't difficult for me to understand. It was easy for me to believe because essentially I was taught the same thing mm -hmm. under the dictator who set himself up as God. And I was taught that the dictator could, could see my thoughts, that his spirit lived inside of my heart. <clears throat> and if I would put my faith in him and obey him, that all would be well with me. And one day I would go to his heaven, to his utopia. Mm. And that's just an evil manipulation and a twisting of the truth of the gospel. And we see that same pattern being played out right now through critical race theory and, uh, and these other areas where kids are being torn down and given opportunities to place their faith in leaders and in systems that give them a brand new identity, only it's a false identity. Mm -hmm. And it's a perpetual one. It, it, Christianity is the only religion where God himself stepped in to solve our problem. It, it doesn't require us to keep performing and keep you know, demonstrating our virtue over and over and over again and, and doing these acts to step into an identity. It is, it is all done for us on the cross and where Jesus took you know, that sin upon his back. And I think right now is, it would be super easy to get discouraged by all this, as, especially if this is all new to you. It, it, it's heavy stuff. It's, it's alarming stuff. But I think Christians, we need to look at this as an opportunity. This, the, the wide-scale adoption of these ideas shows us that there's a hunger in people's heart for meaning. So in the past where we've been content to watch TV and just, you know, live our, you know, consuming lifestyle, we're, we're entering into a phase where people are seeing the emptiness of all that and they want something more. They want more to live for. And we have the answer. We have the gospel and we need to be stepping into this moment unafraid to, to really address this stuff and offer a better way. That's right. I, I agree with you because at the end of the day, false systems cannot stand. They, uh, uh, eventually, uh, the, the, the deceivers will overplay their hand and those who have eyes to see will discover the truth and it will collapse on itself. And we need to be there with the gospel, with the truth, to say that, look, if you're gonna hate yourself, don't hate the person that God made in his own image. Uh, he made you, he loves you. Hate the rebellion that has sent you away from God, the selfishness, the pride, the greed, all of that, and turn to the God who can make you brand new and give you your true identity in Christ. Absolutely. That's the gospel, and that's empowering, that's liberating, and it brings heaven to earth. Uh, it doesn't bring a communist utopia, yep. which uh, never turns out well. It brings uh, real blessing. Hi, I'm Kirk Cameron. Thanks for listening to this episode of Takeaways. If you love the conversations that we're having, please follow or subscribe to this podcast to never miss any of this great content. And please consider leaving a positive rating and a review to help others like you discover this show.